So welcome to today's show. Today we have Renaud Purefoy on the show. Uh, he's a counsellor and an author. So welcome to today's show, Renaud. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure being here. Absolutely. So talk to me about your new book then, first and foremost. What is well, it? Well, it's, it's called uh, Why You Feel the Way You Do. And uh, it's actually the result of you know all the years I've been spending in counselling and just studying all this stuff. So it's kind of a journey. It starts off with talking about the uh, seven emotions that we share with other animals and then goes from there to talks about uh, uh, negative uh, triggers and core response patterns and how you change them. And then the last section talks about uh, the three things that make people happy, the three uh, most important things that positive psychology has come up with over the last 20 years. So let's break that down then. So you talked about the seven emotions that we share with other animals what are they? Yeah. Well, and again, this is fairly new stuff. I know when I was in college taking psychology courses, uh, the things that they taught me are all obsolete nowadays. Uh, but yeah, neuroscience has got into it and it's been investigating. And, uh, you know, we have the anger and the fear to danger, you know, danger. Uh, that's everybody's familiar with that. And they, actually, there's a second uh, uh, fear, uh, fear circuit called. Uh, panic or we tend to know it as separation anxiety in children and it's what causes us to miss people uh, when they're away and then there's a corresponding circuit to that called the caring circuit and those two kind of work together to help bind us together uh, you, you can see this in little kids you know when a kid falls down or something all the other kids become very concerned about it uh, and then you know other animals you see the same thing going on with the when the young one is has a distress call then the parent it, it triggers that caring feeling in you uh Oxytocin is one of the things that uh, mediates that uh, circuit. Uh, again, it's more complex than just that. But when you take, uh, for example, children who've been uh, raised in orphanages where they were never touched or cared for, uh, this was care was true for some of the uh, children who come out of uh, Eastern Europe in the past, uh, and you put them with a parent and they're playing a game on a video or something, there's no oxytocin levels uh, rise. But if you take like a child that's been you know, natural child, the oxytocin levels just go off the chart. So again, it shows that these circuits can be damaged uh, by the way a person, you know, comes up through childhood. Uh, so there's, is that interaction between genetics and uh, uh, environment. Uh, one of the more interesting circuits for me was the uh, seeking circuit. And if you watch any baby, whether it's a human baby or a puppy or a kitten or whatever, they just want to explore the environment. And it's a drive inside of us that causes us to want to just explore things and see what's out there. And that's why when you go to a new situation, uh, the first thing you do is you kind of just check everything out. And, and let me back up, because I probably should have mentioned to start with, that these are what neuroscience calls affects, and affects push you to do something. So the simplest ones are the sensory affects, like heat, pressure, uh, hot and cold. If I'm really cold, I really have a strong desire to get warm, right? Or if I'm very hot, I want to get uh, cold. And then the next level up are your homeostatic affects, which are things like hunger and thirst. You know, if I'm really thirsty, then I have that drive to go out and get something to drink. Or if my salt balance is out of balance or, you know, my not getting enough nutrition, then I have that desire to go eat something. So emotions are kind of just a higher level affect and they get hooked into our belief systems. And as we grow up, especially with humans, we're different from uh, animals because we have this this top part of our brain, this big thinking part. And so all these things are kind of mediated through that thinking part of the brain. So they get 
modified in terms of how they respond and how we, we respond to them, uh, depending upon our upbringing, our belief systems, you know, cultural things of that nature. So you mentioned the puppy. It's quite funny because I've, I've got two dogs. One is about six years old and he's the father to the puppy that we've now got. And he's going through that. He's only roughly 12 or 13 weeks and he's going through that exploratory stage now when it's a case of, I don't know if you've seen that me, the more we fuck about, the more we learn. And right. it's definitely the case with puppies. You know, they try chewing things, they try eating stones and chewing stuff yep. in the house and putting down the toilet roll. And only then do they learn this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. So you mentioned... Well, you know, and, and one circuit I didn't mention was the play circuit. And uh, you can take like rats, for example, and cut off the top part of their brain, the thinking part, and they still want to play. Yeah. And that that's how we learn social limits. You know, when your kid yeah. is starting to poke you and play too much, that's when you say, okay, that's that's too much. Yeah. But we still have we still have that circuit as adults, you know, we still want to play. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the rats, actually. I've got a, a good study that I, I um I learned about is that the, the, you get big rats and you get small rats, obviously. Yeah. And the big rats, well, animals in general like to play and wrestle, whether you have brothers, whether it's puppies, yeah. whether it's bears, whether it's rats. And yeah. the big the big rat actually lets the smaller rats beat them 30% of the time. Because yeah. if they beat the small, the small rats all of the time, yeah. it gets it doesn't become fun for the big rat because he just wins all the time. And it doesn't become fun for the small rats because they never get to win anything. And after a while it gets boring and they get demoralized. So they let them win 30% of the time to, to keep that partner to allow them to keep playing. So I just thought that would be an interesting, interesting point. Important point for parents with little kids. You need to let them win sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You've got to let them. And at the same time, they got to lose sometimes. Well, when my kids were little, we'd play checkers. And the way I worked it is uh, if I won two games in a row, I would take a, one of the checkers off the board. And I would keep doing that till I just down to like maybe four or five checkers. And of course, then they could win easily, right? Then if they would win three times, I would put one checker back on the board. And so that's kind of how we handicapped it. So uh, they could win and I could win. And, you know, of course, it got really challenging if you want to have four or five checkers on the board to try to beat the other side. Yeah, definitely. Make it more challenging, as we said about the, the yeah. rat situation. It's pretty similar there isn't it let them win sometimes you win sometimes so they learn both sides of the coin so you talked about the 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 seven emotions as it were and obviously everyone's familiar with these emotions what's the way that we can use them to our ability what's the way that we can build resilience to them or use them in a way that's going to give us the best outcome well well i think understanding them is 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 that these are all human needs and kind of gets into the things that make us happy. Um, you know, the big one by far is relationship. Uh, no matter where you read, you find that human beings need contacts, con- uh, contact with other human beings in a deep, meaningful way. And if we don't have that, especially as we grow up, if we don't have that, it causes us to get a little bit weird. You know, our wiring just gets free, really thrown off. Um, you see this in kids, uh, Again, the ones where they were never touched or, um, you know, tended to when they cry, they learn that their cries have no meaning. And so they just don't attach to their parents and they have a hard time attaching to others as an adult. Um, So I think that's one of the things. I mean, the second one is, of course, purpose. We have to have purpose in life, a reason to get up in life in in the morning. And uh, that can be a narrow purpose. I just want to, you know, be a good parent or I just want to be good at my job. Or it can be a larger purpose. You know, I want to do something that's going to help people. Um, and then, of course, the third one is meaning. You know, how do we put all this stuff into context? You know, when things go south and 
not working well for me. How do I make sense out of that in my life? Um, and again, if you look at uh, our younger generation, what are they lacking? They're lacking relationship, they're lacking purpose, and they're lacking meaning. And it's small wonder why there's so much anxiety and depression going on and why there's so much crazy anger going on around the world. That seems to be escalating the more we get into the internet and just all this stuff and get more separated from one another. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the Maslow hierarchy of needs is quite a um, a well-known pyramid, isn't it, in terms of you need the, the basics before you move up to um, activation well, right at the top. I, you know, and again, you're talking about Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. He actually had it upside down because his whole thing was all about self, self-actualization, you know, being all I can be. And really the core thing, if you look at the base of the pyramid, is that relationship stuff. People will yeah, exactly. sacrifice everything for relationships. They'll run into a burning building. You know, you get into things like, uh, again, purpose and meaning, patriotism, you know, what people do in warfare or to, to maintain a cause. You know, these are the things that are really important to people. Yeah. And it's like the, the other thing that you mentioned, the solitude, well, the, the touch example, obviously solitary confinement is it's a punishment they use in prisons because people come out of that not feeling in a good mental space because they need that human interaction, they need that touch. And what you'll find as well is is people who are quite lonely, they spend a lot of time watching TV, listening to the radio, which is sort of a synthetic way of getting some sort of social interaction. And the other one that you mentioned is is the meaning side. And Viktor Frankl talks about this, doesn't he, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he's he's in the camps, but because he has a, an inherent purpose, he doesn't feel the negative effects that maybe some of his comrades feel. Um, and do you, think that's a, do you think that's probably the biggest one out of three in terms of being able to, in any situation, feel feel as good as you can can feel? It's, it's, it's important. And one of the things that I, I point to in the book is, you know, we live in a culture now where everything is very... Uh, uh, mechanistic you know uh, we're there is no god there is no life after death you know you're a little machine you die you're dead and and i, I like to point people to some of the near-death experience uh research has been going on in fact i quote one of the big ones that has basically concluded at the end we have no explanation for what these things are and that they certainly seem to indicate that there is something when you die yeah and and if there is something when you die then that behooves us to maybe take a look at how we're living now you know is there something beyond just getting all i can get and having as much pleasure as i can get which seems to be uh that hedonistic stoic kind of philosophy is uh so prevalent nowadays yeah i think for me i I never used to believe that there was a and i don't like the word i do but it has negative connotations doesn't it the word god in terms of the religion side of things and as you said life after death if we think about your phone and your house and even the laptop that we're sitting in front at the moment it has an inherent design it has to be designed because of the functionality because of its dimensions etc and if people can agree that that is created but then they disagree that something as complex as the human body with limbs and the brain function and circuitry system that isn't created i find that strange coming back to your point with life after death as you said there is some commonalities with those experiences for example people say that their life flashes before their eyes now is that a way of god judging your life very quickly possibly no one knows and it's like if we created the camera we can look back at the film and 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 look at what was recorded so Mm -hmm my metaphor is that i'm saying okay well you were created can the person who created you look back and see what you saw through your your camera lens as it were and maybe that's why there is that 
your life flashes before your eyes. So it's as a quick judgment to see all the good things and bad things that you've done and, and you to feel, yeah, how did I perform really? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I come from a science background. I was, biology was my major, but I also had chemistry and math minors. And one of the things since two thousand is the biology is really at a loss to figure out how life originated. And all of the theories, you know, with the the primeval soup and all that type of stuff, have all fallen apart. And and uh, you just get into all of all the intricacies. Uh, for example, the moon. The moon is such a unique thing. I, I remember when I was in high school, uh, the textbooks were all speculating how did the moon get there? You know, of course, now we pretty much kind of figure out that the planetoid about the size of Mars, you know, crashed into the Earth somewhere about four and a half billion years ago when a crust was forming. And that's why we had Pangaea, the big uh, yeah, continent, yeah. and all that stuff. So you, you just you get into more and more things and, and the uniqueness of. Uh, Boy, I, we could talk a lot about uh, some of that. That's uh, uh, it's you know, but maybe it's this is gets taken a little beyond where we need to go. But yeah, it's the the idea of design and the idea that uh, there is something more than just the physical stuff that we deal with, and it's so easy to ignore you know the invisible aspects of the world. You know? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that the the word science for me again has some negative connotations where people think that it has to be proved to be seen as correct now before things are proved they still exist but they just don't have it sort of signed off and even when things are signed off they can be incorrect and they get changed so for example quantum physics has basically got rid of a lot of the old science because it shows that there's a lot more to the space that we're a part of than maybe meets the eye like i don't know if you've seen the double slits experiment or the particle entanglement experiments and they show something very different to what people tend to see in terms of physical objects and obviously vibrations and, and all that sort of sort of stuff. So right. it's, it's very, for me, do you have to have some element of faith in terms of what your beliefs are? Because n not everything can be physically proven. Yeah. Although, you know, there, there's a thing with theories is, is a theory. Can you falsify it? You know? Yeah. Uh, any good theory, you know, it'll make predictions, and uh, if those predictions don't come true, then you have to throw it out and come up with something new. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, a, a hypothesis cannot be no, um, it cannot be proved beyond this hypothesis. You know, yeah. you can't prove it beyond what it's trying to prove, and I think that can be the issue because sometimes when you're trying to prove something, it's like the cognitive bias situation where you try and force square pegs into a round hole to fit your narrative. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting a little far afield, but I, but I think people do need to come up with some way of looking at life and the world uh, that's going to help them have some kind of context, uh, again, when bad things happen, or just to make sense out of all the stuff that's going on around you in, in the world. Uh, and if you don't have that, or if it's a very superficial you know, belief system, then... You do fine as long as everything's going well, but then as soon as you know uh, you, you have a loss in life, you know you lose your work, you lose somebody that's uh, uh, important to you, or things of that like that happen, then you really get thrown into crisis. And, and like you mentioned, Viktor Frankl, people who had some sense of uh, meaning did better under the severe circumstances that they were in than those that who didn't. Yeah. So you've been a counselor, obviously. I think you mentioned twenty mm -hmm. years or so. 
Yeah. yeah. I, and I worked with anxiety disorders was my main thing. So what what did you learn? Like if, if someone was to say, give me the, the, the biggest gem of knowledge in terms of how people can get from a position from wherever they are, whether that's if we look at a scale from one to 10, whether they're a one out of 10 in terms of mental mental stability, let's say, or to someone who's nine, how do they get from that level to the next level in terms of being in the best psychological state they can be is it looking at the optimistic side of life is it maybe looking at some philosophy is it maybe religion or meaning or or some of the other points that you mentioned you know i i used to joke with my clients the answer is always e and on multiple choice questions e usually is all of the above right yeah yeah there's there's not a simple one shoe fits all answer to everybody uh certainly having a balanced life is important uh those things we talked about having relationships. You know, if you have uh, three people in your life that you can be totally honest with and talk about the ups and downs in life, uh, that right there is going to do more than anything else for your mental health. I mean, counselors a lot of times are paid friends. You know, we're somebody that people can come to and be totally honest with, and uh, we can act as that reflecting board to them. Yeah. And, and 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 it used to be in times past you had lots of people like that. You know, people lived in close communities. Yeah. Uh, if uh, you know, there was somebody you could go to to talk to, if not to your own family, you know, there's the village elder or, you know, your uncle or, you know, somebody that you could go talk to about stuff and they could give you advice. And there was a sense of connection that we don't have nowadays. Even in the recent past, you had your block, you know, or your, you know, relatives that were relatively close by. So I, I think that's that's in terms of mental health, one of the things that you can do that's more than anything else. Yeah. You go to uh, countries, uh, you know, developing countries where, you know, they don't have all the stuff that we have. And yet a lot of times they're happier than we are because they have that close knit community and they have a sense of purpose and meaning that helps to helps to shield them from the hardship sometimes that they're experiencing in daily life. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think with the counter example, I think you're right in terms of the closest of, of communities, that is one thing, but also. I think the the uptick in um, in counsellors or coaches, because I obviously work as a coach as well, is because of the lack of judgment. If you know someone, maybe they would judge you um, less favourably if they understood what your thought process was. So maybe it's to, it's to save face on that basis. The other point that you made with regards to um, developing countries, a lot of the time it's because if you're not happy with what you've, you've got, you're never going to be happy with whatever you've got. So... Everything you have, that's you specifically or me, someone else is jealous of. You know, you live in a um, uh, a first world country, you have your own house or your own car or have a dog or you have a job working somewhere. Someone else is jealous of that particular thing that you have or you have a forehead of hair or whatever. So you need to sometimes understand that as opposed to always thinking about what you don't have and actually being happy with what you what blessings you do have. Brings, it brings us back to meaning, right? What yeah. is life all about? You know, what, what, why am I here? You know, what is my purpose in life? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I think we're getting back to those things like, uh, you know, who am I? What makes me important? Is it because I have a big car or because I have a big house or are there other things that, you know, make me uh, a valuable as a human being? You, you deal a lot with that with, when you get in with people who are very perfectionistic and stuff. Yeah, uh, you know they're always judging themselves and their value by external things as opposed to internal things. But is that is that perfectionism or is that materialism? Well, it's both. It's both. I mean, with with anxiety disorders, a lot of times I'd, I'd get people who are very perfectionistic, and 
and and material at the same time uh, but again the, for them doing things correctly was so important <laughs> uh, i mean the fact... I've, I've had a few clients just to 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 to, to talk, touch on that point i've had some clients that are again perfectionists and the question i say to them that really helps them to maybe change their perception slightly is would you describe anything as perfect well I, and they would I, say I just... no and then I would say, okay, well, if nothing is perfect, why do you strive for perfection if you can agree that nothing is perfect? And they think, oh, hang on a minute, that's so yeah. true that I'm striving for something that I understand deep within myself that cannot be achieved. Therefore, I maybe need to change my per- per- perception. And actually, those perfectionists can be ones who procrastinate more or don't make decisions because they are always waiting for, quote unquote, the perfect time. There is no such thing as a perfect time. The perfect time is to act as now. They're saying it a little bit differently from what I, I used to do, but I used to tell them that, you know, if, if your goal is perfection, you've guaranteed failure. Yeah. Because again, as you just said, nothing is, is perfect in life. You know, the, the, the other thing that I, that I used to talk to people about is, okay, so let's say uh, you have a friend who makes a mistake or messes up. Uh, do you now just uh, no longer count them as a friend and you shun them? And usually they would say no. And so why is that? It's because, you know, human life has value and relationship has value that's separate from what you do as a human being. Again, yeah. it's that idea of separating what you do from who you are. Yeah. You know, I'm a human being. I have value. What I do sometimes has value. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does well. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's a separate issue from who I am. Yeah. And I think that that's that's the key thing that I've that I found to be very important for people is to start to understand the difference between what they do and who they are. Yeah, I love that because I've actually I'm writing well, I've written a, f- a first book, um, obviously everyone, everyone will know about it's become a person of value and it's a self-help book. The second book I've written, which is currently undergoing editing, is a question a day. And one of the questions is similar to that, really, is like, who am I? Most people would say, oh, I'm this person who works here and I earn this amount and I'm this. And they're just labels. Who are you really is maybe separate to the car that you drive, as you alluded to, or the house that you have. Mm-hmm. We need to establish who we are and what we want to bring to the world. As you said, all of that other stuff is maybe external. Um, what, are you a strong believer then that asking questions is important to find oh, answers? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's part of the process that you go throughout your life. It never ends, you know. Uh, it's it's always trying to expand, you know, your understanding of who you are and how you fit into things, and just uh, and just learning to enjoy things. I mean, that that ability to have that deep sense of uh, uh, contentment, regardless of your circumstances, is if you can achieve that, then you do really well in life. Yeah, uh, yeah and that doesn't mean I don't want to have successes. You know, I don't want to win. I mean, I like to win when I'm playing games and yeah, stuff. Exactly. But, but if I lose, that's okay too, you know. Uh, yeah, I think with um, with winning and losing, I think sometimes we need to understand that to, to win the, the overall war, we have to lose many battles along the way. Like, for example, oh, yeah. to become the world champion uh, boxer or MMA fighter or kickboxer or judoka or whatever, yeah, you yeah. need to have, like if you're a boxer, for example, the world champion boxer has been punched in the face more times than me or you, but he's there, but he's better still because he's yeah. learned from that mistakes and 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 he's moved forward. Just coming back to anxiety for a minute, because I know that's quite a strong point for you. I heard a, heard a, a, a sort of description really before that anxiety is someone who lives in the future. Depression is someone who lives in the past, and obviously living in the present is a present because it's a gift. Do you 
subscribe to that theory or do you have a different view on what anxiety actually is? Well, I, th I think it's, it's, it's a oversimplification. Uh, anxiety is a form of fear, okay? Uh, and again, when there are threats, you respond with either anger or, or fear. And anger can range from irritation to rage, and fear can range from anxiety to uh, panic, right? So really, the core issue is threat. And where's the threat coming? The other wrinkle that needs to be thrown here is I worked a lot with people who had panic disorder. And yeah. with panic disorder, they had a different wiring in their body. Um, everything that human beings have, you can put on the old normal curve. So there's tall people, there's short people, and there's the average height, right? Yeah, bell curve. So, so in terms of the reactivity of your body, it's the same thing. Some people have very reactive bodies. And some people, you got to slap them upside the head to get them to notice something. So with a lot of the people that I worked with, their body was kind of like a house where the wiring is not quite up to code. And so uh, when it got too much stress going on, then the fight or flight response would start to trigger, which is really the sensation of anxiety. It's that fight or flight response. In fact, uh, I found that that wiring for them was actually a blessing in disguise because it was th that sensitivity was the thing that other people like best about them. They were they tended to be very empathetic. Uh, they tended to be good listeners. It's the thing that other people, you know, their kids, their their mate, you know, their friends liked about them that that sensitivity. But the downside was they got overwhelmed very easily. And typically, yeah. I would talk to them. I'd say, okay, so tell me, you know, when your panic attack started, and they would say things like, well, you know, I was working full time, going to school full time. Uh, let's see, my dad was. Uh, trying to care for my dad who was dying. And then, oh yeah, and my boyfriend, you know, he decided he didn't want to get married. You know, I don't understand why I was having a panic attack. It's like, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, th I think I can figure this one out. What, what they had was a stress reaction, but they were so out of touch with what was going on in their body, they didn't understand it. And so it frightened them. And so they would start running from the sensations and they would start doing a lot of what's called what if thinking, negative anticipation. Well, what if it's this? What if it's that? Oh my gosh. And then as soon as they would notice, and then they would start doing internalization, they would start watching their body, which is something we typically don't do. And then whenever they noticed anything out of the unusual, then they would start to say, oh my gosh, I wonder if the thing's happening. And of course, they could actually start to self-generate uh, panic attacks just from that kind of worry and that negative anticipation and internalization that was going on. Yeah. And so unwinding that was important, but also understanding that, you know, that those were symptoms a lot of times that they weren't taking care of business. And this was a lesson, I think, for everybody, but for them, it was essential, is they had to keep short accounts. Uh, when they started to get symptoms, it meant there was something in their life that they weren't dealing with. Oftentimes, it was relationship issues. And so, you know, that was something that as they started to learn, okay, this is something I need to deal with. And if I don't, it's going to come up as free-floating anxiety because of the threat that's there. Yeah. And instead of focusing on the anxiety, I need to come back and decide, okay, what's going on? And so I'd say, okay, let's go through the checklist. Okay, how are my relationships? How's the kids? How's work going? How are my life goals? Has there been a big disappointment lately? And always, bingo, one of those things would come up, right? Okay. And so tell me about that. Well, it wasn't that big a deal. Well, okay, the anxiety you're experiencing is telling me it was a big deal. So you need to deal with it. And we need yeah. to come up with a plan for how we're going to deal with it. Yeah. And that's that's a lot of what I did yeah. with those types of things. Yeah. I mean, people's strengths can be their biggest weaknesses, can't they? Like if you're super fast, a lot of the time you're going to be weak because you have to be light and nimble. If you're super strong, might be you might be might be yeah. slow. 
because obviously the building, I think, as you said as well, with people who are anxious, it's, as you said, it's the unknown outcomes, isn't it? It's the fact that they are unsure. What if this happens? What if that happens? Whereas with, when you have clarity of this is going to happen, even if it's a bad thing, it's like, oh, I know what I'm dealing with now. I know what I need to do and I can act accordingly. I love what you said about not dealing with something. And that's what plays on your mind because we've all been there at some point when we have this thing in the back of our mind. Maybe we know what it is. Maybe we don't, but there's something tugging away at us that we know we need to do. How do we, how do we tap into if we are unsure? I mean, you sort of alluded to it, but I want to get a bit more of a categorical answer. How do we find out what that is? and, And then, as you said, devise a plan to, to, to get there? Well, I think there's two parts to it. Number one is uh, when, when you just deal with the whole concept of stress and those types of things is I think it's good for people to come up with their stress indicators. Everybody has something they do when something's bugging them or they're, they're under stress. Uh, and it might be a behavioral thing, you know, uh, it might be something going on in their body. Uh, with me, I'll start spending time playing some stupid video game, you know, Sometimes I'll joke that there can be a change in how I use language. And you have to understand my dad was a career Navy guy. So Navy got in the style. So so some of that would come in, you know. And and so when I notice that, and oftentimes, you know, my my, my wife is very good at pointing that out too. Uh they're they're wonderful in that that way. You know, it, it means there's something I need to take care of. And so, like I said, you go through an inventory. Um, okay, so what's been going on lately in my life? Uh you know, has there been a loss? Has there been a disappointment? Is there something going on with a relationship or work? Uh, for example, uh, I've got a, a really good friend who moved away. And so I find myself kind of open about doing some of my anxiety stress stuff. So I start thinking about what's going on. Well, okay, my friend went away. So what might be, oh, relationship, a primary relationship is gone. So the need that needs to be taken care of is I need to find either a new friend i need to somehow connect with them over the internet but there's that need and that's what's generating what's going on and so i, I find going through that inventory is is a one of the key things that people can do and that we just don't do very often yeah. and if something's going on and you're telling yourself well it wasn't that big a deal but i'm reacting as if it was a big deal well then it was a big deal yeah so to address the need that that's that whatever it is that's related to that yeah, I love that. I, I use something called a wheel of life with clients where it yeah. shows the different areas of your life. So as you said, relationships, business, finances, yeah. um, hobbies, interests, g- goals, travel, all of these different areas. And what you tend to find is a skew in a particular area. So for, for example, some people might be very relationship, social, hobbies, heavy, but they are short on their finances and their business and their career goals. And on the flip side, it's the other way around, isn't it? It's people who are too career focused, too focused about money, but actually are depriving themselves of relationships, of friendship, of social, of hobbies. Yeah. And as you said, it's about getting that balance. And yes, it's always going to have a certain tilt, isn't it? Um, you know, because you don't get to the top career-wise if you don't prioritise that, uh, the sacrifice of some other stuff and vice versa. But it's about that balance and understanding what is it I want? What, what end result do I want? And if you do want to have a family and kids, you can't just be 100% career focused. Do you find that it's about matching up those goals with the the um, realistic expectation of something happening and also the habits and routines that people do? Well, yeah, of course. And, and, and that changes over life too. It's almost yeah. like you're on a, 
you know, kind of on a balancing board or something. And you go one direction for a while and then you realize, oh, gee, I need to go back the other direction of a while. And that's just life. It's it's that uh, uh, undulation that we go through of ups and downs through life and, and making those course corrections. And what you need when you're 20 is different from what you need when you're 30, 40, or 50. And uh, those course corrections, again, requires us to take some time to do a little bit of introspection, again, which is we're very short on nowadays because we spend so much time trying to entertain ourselves uh, you know, with the internet, with TV or you know, video or whatever, you know, games. Um, and the art of being quiet, which is why the whole mindfulness, I think, uh, movement is so popular with so many people. Just the idea of being quiet. I mean, we used to have lots of time to be quiet. If I went into town, you know, it would take me an hour to go into town. And I had a lot of time to talk to whoever I was going into town with. There were no distractions. You know, there, there wasn't a radio on my, you know, horse or whatever. Uh so, so that that taking time and and building that into your your daily life, I think, is so important. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like, and you talked about course correction and mm-hmm. every sort of checkpoint, saying is this the direction I want to go? No, okay, let's change the degree of direction by one degree or five degrees, or do a complete ninety degree turn. One thing, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a phrase that I um, was reading the other day is why why are we looking backwards though why are we looking backwards at life because that's not the direction we're headed we're not going backwards in time we're going forward so why are we so focused on the past did you find that as a counselor that people or, or clients and uh, uh people you're dealing with were, were so focused on what happened in the past that they were missing the future planning well, you know, sometimes I, I think, again, it's hard to put everything into, you know, everybody into just a, a narrow box. Uh, certainly with anxiety clients, a lot of what they're focused on is anxieties over the future. And uh, again, those threats, whether they're real or imaginary, and then figuring those out. And, you know, and, and it's okay to look in the past and enjoy some of the stuff in the past and because that's where we learn things, you know, as long as you don't get stuck there. Again, I think there's a balance between, you know, appreciating where you've come from and learning lessons from that and also taking a look at where you want to go in the future yeah but at the same time enjoying the now you yeah. know taking time to you know one of the things that positive psychology talks about is savoring you know taking time to savor the now whether that's just uh you know sitting there and eating your breakfast or whether it's going to a game or being with somebody and yeah. that's that's an art that a lot of people are very poor at is because yeah. they're so they're so busy either in the past or in the future or just being busy yeah living in the present and enjoying the moment out of your book then what's the one for you your favorite part and the one sort of crucial piece of advice or topic area that you feel that everyone should know about or have you already discussed that well i mean it's I, again i go back to the e all of the above <laughs> uh I mean, the, the current book is the one of the, is is my favorite one. It could just talk because that whole issue of emotions has been something I've been fascinated with all my life. When I, when I was a kid, my parents, uh, they both came from farming backgrounds and we had enough uh, area where, you know, I raised chickens and rabbits and different things and teaching tricks and things. And I often joke that I went from animal behavior, you know, that I studied in college to human behavior when I got my counseling degree. Uh, and and I I think this whole area of uh, relationship purpose meaning is a real key 
uh, to understanding how I can learn to have a happy and balanced life and have that contentment uh, regardless of my circumstances. Doesn't mean I don't want to improve. I don't want to do things. But at the same time, taking time to savor where I'm at and enjoy the people that are around me. Yeah. Uh, rather than this mad dash to constantly be uh, entertained. Um, I mean, that that's the addiction of, of the modern world is entertainment. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's it's been said that there's entertainment and education, isn't there, when you're consuming stuff. And people tend to go towards entertainment. And if you are going to distract yourself, for me anyway, at least educate yourself and learn something, whether it's from external sources or internal. Um, so if people want to, to, to learn more about you or get your book or maybe, I don't know if you're still offering counselling sessions, but get out get in touch with you about counseling where can they where can they reach out to you let's just go to my website it's ywhyyemotions.com so easy to remember yemotions.com and uh, you find out about my books i've got some freebie stuff there i've got some connection into things i've done on youtube uh, so you know it's uh, you'll find it all there at ywhyemotions.com and uh, i think you'll you'll enjoy some of the stuff you'll see there Fantastic. Any final messages for, for the listeners? Well, I, I think, um, you know, life is a process uh, and it's a process of learning and experiencing. And uh, if you're having difficulties and struggling, there's hope. And if you're, if you're really feeling overwhelmed, uh, reach out to somebody, you know, a counselor, a uh, coach, or somebody that you can maybe talk to about and get some tools because there are tools available that get you moving into the direction you want to get to. It's just a matter of finding the right person, the right combination uh, of things that are going to work for you. So there's always hope. Fantastic message. Thank you again, Renaud, for coming on the show. Been a great conversation. Um, very interesting. I've learned some stuff for myself as well, even working in this space. So that's great. Um, and yeah, I think you've gave a, a valuable message today. Yeah, thank you.